0: Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. So I I just want to start with basically the beginning of John. Some really beautiful words. Just, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now this sentence alone is one of the main reasons I simply love John. It has so much depth and suggests so much with just 17 words. It tells us so much about Jesus and even references the very start of the Bible. This short verse is a great indication of what makes up the rest of the Gospel of John. John describes the mystery of the identity of Jesus, and John gives us almost a behind-the-scenes look at, at Jesus' ministry, and it, it really highlights for us, as followers of Christ, what it means to believe in him as, as the flesh of the eternal and living God, as a source of light and life, and what it means for a believer to be a, a child of God. If we continue to read on in chapter 1, we see a glimpse of the nature of Jesus as part of the Trinity, as we can see in verses 2 to 5. Now, the passages I read on here are going to be slightly different wording from what's up there, but um, just because I I read a different uh, translation. So he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we can clearly see here that Jesus was right there with God the Father at the beginning of creation. This gives us such a fantastic insight into the divine nature of Jesus and and just how magnificent he is. So how is John laid out overall? Well, for one thing, it's it's very different to the other Gospels. It lays out Jesus' divinity clearly throughout the Gospel, but it it is indeed a Gospel. It includes the the sort of the basics, as it were, of Jesus' ministry, the preaching, the miracles, the trial, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. However, what John does is he looks at how all these events glorify Jesus. And John leaves out the parables in place of long discourses on Jesus' divinity. John's gospel can almost be split into two halves, sort of bookended by a prologue and an epilogue. It starts with a a beautiful uh, poetic introduction that presents us with the, the essence of the theology of John then the first half sort of focuses on seven miracles that Jesus performed, all selected because they highlight the glory of God and the meanings and the significance of these miracles. The second half of the book then focuses on the glorification of Jesus through the crucifixion and the resurrection, which are two of the most incredible acts in the entirety of human history. The first, the crucifixion, devastatingly so. And the second, the resurrection, wonderfully so. So, the beginning of John details how Jesus is the incarnated Word of God and how he brings the grace and truth of God to, to the earth. It also speaks of how Jesus fulfills the laws of the Old Testament. We then move on to, in my humble opinion, one of the most brilliant characters in in all of Scripture, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, to be clear, is is not the John as in the Gospel of John. It's a different John. It's very complicated. but But he's also very clear about declaring that he is not the Son of God. Instead, he is the fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah 40, which says, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John the Baptist is there to proclaim the coming of the Son of God and to make it apparent that it is not him. If we read from John 1, verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, Jesus and his disciples, we're going to move on a little bit now. So Jesus and his disciples, uh, which he has started to gather, and uh, they then attend a wedding in Cana. And this is where Jesus performs one of, arguably, his most famous miracles that I reckon... Even your most ardent atheist will be able to name changing water into wine. We then get one of Jesus' most brilliant, again, in my humble opinion, moments, and possibly one of his most human. He travels to Jerusalem and he sees what the traders have done to his father's temple. They turned it into a marketplace. They've turned it in they've got stalls, they're trying they're selling their, their wares, they're selling their, their produce. And he gets righteously angry. He says he says, Stop turning my father's house into a market. But he then goes on and says one of the key things that can easily be forgotten. And, and missed when, when he's challenged by the Pharisees to prove his authority to clear the temple. Say, so, yeah, how, how do you have the authority to do that? How do you have the authority to tell him to get out of the temple? He said to them, tell you what, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days' time. Now, the Pharisees both didn't believe him, but they also didn't understand the significance of what Jesus had just said. He was speaking about himself as the temple. That when the temple is destroyed, when Jesus is crucified on the cross, three days later, he will be resurrected, therefore rebuilding the temple. A bit later on in uh, chapter three, we get one of, if not, probably the most famous, probably most quoted Bible scripture uh, of all time in John 3.16. I think it was even said um, earlier in the service today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Now this may be a quote that you've heard hundreds of times but let's just take a moment just to feel the the weight of what's been said there god loves us so much that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son imagine being the parent in that situation and just how impossible it would be to make that decision that your child loses their life in order to save billions. I mean it's simply astonishing. And then if that isn't enough, we get the promise to end all promises that if we simply believe in him we will live forever what an amazing thing that we are so blessed to receive and yet so many of us take for granted so often me included I do think it's important to read on a little bit however as an important warning comes uh, I believe in verse 18 it says Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We are told here, plain as day, that it is so important that all people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is called a Savior for a reason, because he will save all from the condemnation spoken about here. So, please, I, I implore you, go out and tell someone you love who hasn't met him yet all about Jesus. Let's be honest, you have nothing to lose, and they have everything to gain. But, Let's continue with with the story of John. Now, as we continue through the book of John, we we continue to see Jesus performing life-transforming miracles and having life-changing conversations. There are so many examples of this, which unfortunately I don't have time to go into this evening, but hopefully you've already read about them. Go back and read about them again and again, and again, and again, because they will never stop amazing you. We have stories such as Jesus and the Samaritan woman, where he meets a woman at the well, tells her about living water. We have Jesus healing many different people, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, talking down the Pharisees with irrefutable logic as they were ready to stone an adulterous woman. Which I had another listen to earlier, and I I just love it. You know, Jesus says, "That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Stone her. If if, you you haven't committed a sin, you can throw throw the first stone. Go for it. Not a single stone was thrown." He goes on to heal the blind man, but there is one story that I really want to highlight, which is the story of Lazarus. It's quite a famous story. It centers around three people. If you want to go to uh, chapter 11, if, if, you have, if you have your Bible, that's where we'll find the story of uh, Lazarus. Um, so it centers around three people, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They lived in Bethany, and they knew that Jesus had love for Lazarus. And so they said to him in chapter 11, verse 3, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And Jesus replied with quite an astonishing response. He said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, well, yes, I I can see why you're upset and and why you're worried, but it's all good. I've got you. Uh, the reason he is ill is so you can see my full glory and realize just who I am. Now Jesus was supposed to leave, but because he loved them so much, he stays an extra two days. And a little bit later on, if we look at verse 11, he says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Quite funny, because the disciples don't quite get what Jesus is saying here. Yeah, they think he literally means that Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they're basically like, ah, oh, well, that's yeah, all good then. We can, ju- we can just go, yeah? So Jesus had to kind of put it simply for them. No, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you might believe. I find this quote from Jesus particularly fascinating. As it seems to me, and this could just be me, but it seems to me that he is saying that death would not dare take Lazarus if Jesus was present. Almost a foreshadowing to the resurrection, that around Jesus death has no power whatsoever. So Jesus and the disciples arrive at the tomb, which Lazarus had already been in for four days, which would say that he's pretty well dead. Now, Martha is beside herself, and and she says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, if I was Martha in this situation, I think I would find that difficult to believe. Given that my brother has been dead for four days, and this man is saying that he'll be alive again, Because that kind of thing just doesn't happen, does it? Well, it does when Jesus is around. If we carry on a little further to verse 35, we have the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. Just two small words that say so much. Jesus had so much love for this man that the idea of him being dead brings him to tears. Now I I could give my own thoughts on the rest of the story but why don't we just read it from scripture. So from verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Oh, Lord, by this time, there'll be an odour, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, "Lazarus! come out!" The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, "Unbind him and let him go." What a powerful story! and a true showing of Jesus' power over death. Which leads us nicely onto our, our final section of, of my talk, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Now if we move ahead to chapter 13, we see Jesus and the disciples sitting down to share a meal, commonly known as, as the Last Supper, as it was the final meal they would have together before Jesus' death. Now several things happen in this meal which are really important and, and deserve more time than, than I have now to, to look at. But I will give a, a brief overview. So Jesus kneels down and washes the disciples' feet which they're horrified by us as they don't think he should be doing it. But Jesus says to them in verse 8 if I do not wash you you have no share with me. This is so important to remember. And it goes back to what I said earlier. If we are not washed clean from our sins by Jesus, then we cannot inherit eternal life. We have to accept him and allow him to cleanse us so that we can be with him in heaven. A little bit later on, Jesus tells them truly, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. All the disciples at this stage, I'd like to imagine, are all like, well, it's not going to be me. I'm the best disciple. You can always count on me, Jesus. But Jesus says very simply, when asked who of them it will be, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. Judas then leaves to go and betray Jesus, just as he said. Now, again, There is a lot here that could fill probably another five sermons but so i'm going to move swiftly on to chapter 18 where jesus comes back with soldiers officers and chief priests of the law and the pharisees now jesus willingly gives himself up at this stage without a fight or an argument because he knew that what was going to happen had to happen peter then denies jesus three times just as Jesus had told him he would at the Last Supper, despite Peter's protestations. Jesus is then questioned by the high priest. And even though they find no crime against him, they send him before Pilate, the Roman governor. The issue that the chief priests and the Pharisees have is that they can't put anyone to death, so they're handing Jesus over over to get Pilate to do their dirty work for them. Now it's easy to feel sorry for Pilate in this scenario because he did tr- kind of try and do the right thing and, and say that he couldn't find any crime in Jesus and that, and that he'd done no wrong. But the Jewish people were insistent that Jesus be put to death, so in the end he, he bounced the pressure. And in chapter 19 verse 16 it says, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So Jesus was then taken to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And if we read from verse 18, it says, There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The soldiers then took his clothes and cast lots to choose who would take what. Then I just want to read from verse verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all now was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The most devastating moment in all of human history that achieved more than any of us could possibly imagine. Jesus was then buried, and then in undoubtedly the most incredible turn ever, He rises from the dead and appears to the disciples. I cannot even begin to imagine the sheer delight they must have been feeling at this, to see their Lord again and realize all that he had accomplished. It must have been amazing. I'm going to finish with one final passage from the book of John, which I think kind of tells us just how incredible Jesus' ministry was. It's the final verse of the book, which says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. For more information about St Saviour's, please visit our website at www.stsaviourssunbury.org.uk